If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Well, we are going to um, take a pause on our series in Acts that we started at the beginning of the year. We're not, we're not done. We'll come back to it. But we're going to pause for two or three months I'll do a couple other things. One, here in a couple of weeks, we're going to do a seven-part series that I think is going to be awesome for our church and, and our friends called Killing What's Killing You. Uh, get into all the fun stuff like comparison and envy and, and strife and, and worry and pride. And so we'll talk about these things that are killing our joy, stealing our, our peace, um, stealing those kinds of things. We want to talk about how we can put these things to death. So I think it's going to be a, a great, great series. And then next week, uh, Ellie Sanazero and I uh, will be doing a team talk on both uh, biblical and our practical uh, vision behind this new ministry to, to meet the needs of, those, of children with special needs. Uh, I'm really, really proud of Ellie and her passion, her vision, her character, and her sacrifice to see this through. This has been a long time in the making. She was on staff. She had a big role in our uh, J-Kids. She's out in the Kirkwood location. And uh, she stepped aside to go pursue what she felt like God was calling her and reaching this, and this is spilled out into all areas and other areas of the church too. So God's really gripped our heart and through our leadership, this thing's gonna happen and we're gonna uh, speak to you next week. And I think dozens, if not hundreds, are, who've quite honestly have felt forgotten are gonna be loved and served. And not only that, this is the big kicker. I think we're gonna, as a church, gonna benefit uh, even more because we're gonna move closer to the heart of God. So that's next week. You don't wanna miss it. And today I wanna speak from the life of the great Old Testament judge and prophetess, Deborah, uh, for those who are new to the church, I have two daughters, right? I've got three kids. So I've got a middle son. I've got, I've got two daughters, uh, uh, Ella and Josie. Ella turns 15 tomorrow. Please pray for me. She's going to be a freshman. She's going to be a freshman in high school. Yeesh. Anyway, she's beautiful. She's amazing. And Josie, beautiful, amazing, both smart, very, uh, very highly capable. And my prayer for them, along with Simon, of course, is that they would have a, a, a robust and intimate relationship with God. And I, I want them to experience everything God has for them. I, I pray that God would uh, leverage all that they are for the kingdom of God, that they'd want that and pursue that. And I want to give my life to helping them, equipping them and, and paving a way for them to to, make, to use their gift to maximum capacity, to, to develop that and to encourage that and to equip that. And I pray often, like, you know, whatever they got, God, double it, triple it, quadruple it. I want their gifts to be maximized in the church. And I bring this up because we regularly uh, make a broad appeal for, for leaders, for more people to participate, for more, more people to have influence in the church. And, and I think even more so, just going through the book of Acts, it's just come up over and over and over again. Like, hey, what's the solution to this problem? Oh, we need more leaders. Hey, what's the solution to this problem? We need more leaders. And Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's a need for leaders. And so this big, broad call for leaders. Now, sometimes I'm hearing, I think over the years, but I think in particular, the past couple of years, uh, some people hear, well, that, that's a call mainly for men. Uh, it's not a call for women. It's a call for men. And so uh, which isn't what our hearts on our truth. So I want to clear that up today. And I, I, I think today um, would be encouraging uh, for some. I'll add clarity and hopefully bring some uh, forward momentum in your life. Because maybe, again, you've heard mixed messages and, and, and maybe that's that probably definitely is on me and others. But we just want to make that clear. Like, hey, this call it's for both. So many of you are just going to be, I think you'll, you'll find clarity from this. I think you'll be encouraged by this. But for some, for some, for some, this could stir up some things in you and, you, uh, and you're not going to quite know what to do with it. 
I just want to get that out there from the beginning. So I'm going to, this is a massive topic. And I have, I have 30 minutes. I have actually have 31 minutes and 24, 23, 22 seconds to do something. It's a very, very big topic. And I'm going to go just really broad. There's going to be a lot of things. You're going to be like, what about this? And what about that? And what about that? I mean, I just, it's going to happen. It, it already happened. And even though I'm telling you it happened, you're, it's still going to happen. So it's going to happen. So a couple things I want to ask. One is that you would just hear me all the way through, right? Just keep your heart, head open. Um, hear me all the way through. And then secondly, if you've never really engaged the scriptures on uh, God's, God's view and God's perspective and God's design for male and female, I just, I just would encourage you to, to do that. Uh, it's, it's gonna help you uh, because in the Bible, there's a lot of tension in the Bible. There's a lot of tensions, meaning two ideas that seem like they don't go together. Logically, they seem opposed to each other. Like a real classic example is like that God is sovereign in control. Like, man, he, nothing happens unless he wants it to happen. He is sovereignly in control. And then we have our responsibility. And so sometimes if you're like, well, if God's in control, then what we do doesn't matter. So that's the way it is. But the Bible never says that what we do does the Bible says that what we do does matter. So the Bible says that God is in control. Nothing happens unless he says it happens and wants it to happen. But what we do, what we do matters. So usually people like, if what we do matters, then God's not really in control. And if God's really in control, it doesn't really. But actually the Bible says both are true. So we want to live in that tension because in that tension is truth and freedom and a lot of beauty. And there's tension over this issue. I'm just going to say that right now. There's tension and you'll see it when we come down. So, so those are the two things. But there's a third thing I'm going to give you is that if, if you have any questions, because they're gonna pop up, oh, what about this and what about that? And I'm, again, I'm not gonna hit everything and, and I'll, I may say something, but I'll say it really generally and you'll be, and anyway, you'll, you'll have some questions. So if you have a question, write it down on your communication card. Plan, that's one thing you can do. The second thing you do, you can text to right there, 314-246-9573 and those guys will just keep it up there. In fact, when there's a point where they think this may be confusing, they may just flash it up there just to, <laughs> just to add to the sermon and, in my embarrassment, but that's okay. Because and then what, what? What I'll do? So ask those questions. I'll take you know around five or so, and of the most popular questions, and try to answer them in a video. Maybe more. I don't know, but just try to answer as, as much as I can in a video. I won't be able to get to all of it, but um, if it's a common one, I'll, I'll try to answer that. But again, as you if you choose to stick around, we'll, we'll continue to talk about this, and these things will get unpacked. But again, this is very, very, uh, very. Uh, broad base, 30,000 feet. So with that, we're going to look at the story of Deborah. And we are in Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4, verse 4, I will start. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah, uh, Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came out came uh, up to her for judgment because she was like really wise and, and people wanted to know what she had to say. I mean, she, was, she had it together. Verse six, she had sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, has not the Lord God of Israel commanded you to go gather your men from Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali um, and the people of Zebulun? Verse seven, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army to meet you by the river Kishon and his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. This is what God has said. So God said, go meet down by the river. 
and I'm going to do a work here. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go because you are the best and the brightest. You're the best leader. You've got wisdom. You discern what God has to say. Where if we're going to go up against this foe, we need our best player. I'm not going unless you go is what he's saying. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you're going will not lead you to glory for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. So he's saying, look, the way that you think this is gonna happen, it's not the way it's gonna go down. Uh, Verse uh, 12, let's skip down there. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinam, had gone from Mount Tabor, Sisera called out his chariots, 900 chariots of iron. Okay, so this is a distinct advantage. This guy, was, this guy was bad news. I mean, if you were to read through chapter five, in, it's a, it, Deborah it wrote chapter five, Judges five. We'll, we'll dabble into that a little bit. And uh, you get, what you read from there is this guy was a bad dude. I mean, he was very oppressive to all people, particularly women, abusing them, raping them. This was a bad dude. And he had a distinct advantage. He had 900 chariots of iron. The people of Israel had none. It was like these guys had machine guns and the, and the other guys had like a knife. It was, it was not good. Um, and so anyway, so that's a little bit of the backstory. Uh, and then Deborah said to Barak, up for this day, then the Lord has given Sesar into your hand. Uh, does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor and 10,000 men followed him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and all of his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. So what happened is they had this big advantage of iron chariots and they were having this battle down at this riverbed, which it was dry season and it did not rain. It never rained. He never would have went down there if it rained. It would be as likely if it snowed in St. Louis in July. No one thinks, I I might need my coat today because it may snow. You would never think that. But Deborah knew that God was going to send rain because that's what God had told her. And that's how she instructed uh, Barak in terms of the strategy for fighting the army. And what was an advantage, iron chariots, when there's a wet riverbed and you begin to sink in there, what was an advantage becomes a disadvantage. And so that's how they practically won, but it was all God's doing. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Hebar, the Kenite, for there was a peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Hebar, the Kenite. Of course there was. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent and she covered him with a rug. This is the mean bad guy. And he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand in the opening of the tent. And if any man comes and ask you, is there anyone say no. But Jael, the wife of Hebar took the tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went into the ground while he was laying fast asleep from weariness, so he died. <laughs> I'm not sure that last sentence was necessary. I mean, if you drive a tent peg in your temple and it goes out the other temple into the ground, in case you're wondering, he died. This is the word of the Lord. Um, four, assumpt- four observations, not assumptions, four observations from this text. Uh, as relates to how we move together. You know, actually there's gonna be, there may be five, there may be five, four or five. Number one, 
Women can and should lead visibly and influentially in the church. Women can and should, not just can, should lead visibly and influentially in the church. This story, much as anyone, demonstrates like God's heart for women to be involved in visible, influential ways in the kingdom. Uh, Deborah was a prophet. She was a wise, respected leader in Israel. And some have said, I think erroneously, that the only reason why Deborah was, le- was leading in this way is because there wasn't a good uh, man around to lead, which speaks to the denigration of Israel in the time that they were in. And while it's true, and we'll see this a little bit later, that there was a lot of passivity among the men in Israel, that it's very much true. The Bible speaks nothing of her being a leader because somehow men had failed. The Bible says she was appointed and called to lead by God to serve the people of God with her wisdom as a judge in her spiritual discernment and leadership as a prophetess. So pronounced was her wisdom and her leadership and her spiritual discernment that Barack's like, hey, you're the, you're like the best player we got. If we're going to go, I'm not going out in this battle unless you're with us. And so her gifting and her ability and her wisdom was, was very, very visible and influential. Um, and most Old Testament scholars would agree that this Deborah was just like a massive bright spot in an otherwise dark period um, in, the, in the people of God, in the history of the people of God. So she was given this role as judge and prophetess. And this is a really key line. It's gonna come up again because that's what God wanted. She was, had this role because that's what God wanted. She was a woman filled with the spirit of God to serve the people of God, which leads me to emphasize something that we feel very passionately here at Jubilee Church is that we need both men and women to be equally engaged in their gifts to serve, lead, teach, to build a church. Joel 2 Joel 2 prophesied about uh, something that would happen. He's one, Joel's one of the prophets. He's called a minor prophet just because it's not very long. And he prophesied of a, of a time that would get its fulfillment in Acts 2. That was a long time ago. We talked about Acts 2, Pentecost. And in, and in, and in Joel 2, it prophesied there'd be a day where he would, that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh with, with, with no discrimination, free slave, uh, male, female, um, old, young. I mean, there's just no qualifications. And that's what happened. God's spirit poured out on everyone indiscriminate of who they were. And then in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, which actually we're going to talk about next week, is that it, it talks about how gifts were assigned. And it doesn't say, okay, just, you know, over here are the male gifts and over here are the female gifts and over here are the, the you know, the young people gifts and over here are the, you know, the older people gifts. And it doesn't say, just say, here are the gifts and guess who got what gift? Guess, guess, guess who, how that happened? This is the second time I'm gonna say this. God decided. God decides. God decided that Deborah would lead in the way that she led. And the gift that we have and the, and the way that we play out things is God decides. And that's what we see. And that's what happened. That's why they live. There's a myth in certain parts of the church that men, the church, they should be taught deep, rich theology and women should just learn to match the curtains with the pillows, you know, or not how to feel sad on, you know, a rainy day. Like you just, like this, we don't believe that. We believe that men and women equally have gifts that need to be developed and encouraged, including theology and leadership and all these things. There's nothing in the New Testament that indicates that women should not develop or exercise these gifts. In fact, there's many, several that do. Uh, so you have lots of women prophesying. You have lots of women speaking in the church. You have Phoebe, who more than likely was the one who delivered and read aloud the, the letter of Romans to, to the Romans from Paul. So Paul penned that letter and he would send people, to delegates to go and read, which is a very significant thing. And so she did that. 
He's often commending people for their um, partnership in the gospel, mentions women several times. Uh, And then there's this power couple, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, that's in the later part of Acts 18. They come alongside this guy, Apollos, uh, who is like this powerful you know, teacher of God's word. I mean, think like Greg Nelson. I mean, just that, that powerful of a teacher. And, and they, come, they come alongside and she was one of his mentors. It, it says that they, they taught him a more excellent way. He's doing great, great communicator, but they taught, or a better way, taught him theology and, and, and communication. And ladies, I wanna invite you, just to, for clarity's sake, I wanna invite you, encourage you, and maybe even challenge you to step forward in what God has called you to do. The Bible speaks very little. It does speak, but it speaks very little on what uh, you can't do, shouldn't do, but it speaks a whole heck of a lot of what you must do. And I just wanna encourage you to like focus in on that and go for that. I am, I, I am not married to a weak, superficial wife. I am not raising, raising my daughters to be weak, superficial women. And I don't want to somehow lead a church full of those as well. We want you to go and be and lead in the, in the areas that God has for you. For some, that may be, man, I just feel God's called me to be a wife and a mother and that's what I wanna do. And I wanna say, that's amazing that you would want that. And we wanna encourage that and celebrate that, and encourage you in that. But some will feel like, well, I wanna do that and I, want, and I feel like God's called me to lead in other ways too. And we wanna encourage you and support you and develop those gifts as well. Uh, and I just wanna give you a little bit of application. If you feel that, like you feel like, man, I'm start, I kind of identify with Deborah. I feel like God's given me, a wisdom and a, and a, and, and a, a mind and a, or a gifting in leadership and some of that kind of way. There, there are ways that you can apply that. I'll just say that. Number one, number one, here, this is an application. Number one, read the Bible more than any other book. Just re, if that, that's you, step one, read the Bible more than any other book, even books about the Enneagram. I mean, the Bible is more helpful than that. The Bible is gonna help you counsel your friends even better than the Enneagram. It's that powerful. It's that powerful. Secondly, pursue women in the church that you admire and seem further along in your faith. Now, if you're sitting there like, I don't see anyone I admire, I just want you to know, and this is a loving little jab, loving jab. It's loving. I, I, I love you. My name's Brian. I'm your friend. But that's probably your problem if you can't see anyone that you admire. And, and, and maybe you're just new and you don't know who they are. I'd love to introduce you to them because there's a lot of amazing women doing a lot of amazing things that are, so I want to encourage you in that. Um, tell your community group, here's another thing you do, tell your community group leader or serving team leader that you wanna grow in leadership and become an apprentice. Uh, do that, and just to say that in this broad call, I am encouraged to see there are lots of women engaged in our serving roles. We have across our locations, we have 152 identifiable serving roles. I mean, there's more leadership going on in that. But in those serving roles, 152, 75 of those roles are occupied by women. That's roughly 50%, 49.34 for those who are particular uh, percent, and, um, and which is great, which is about what it needs to be. But we just, we feel like, okay, the breath of that is happening. Which I just want to, that's why I'm inviting and encouraging and come forward. Like there's more that women can do. There's more, there's more leadership. If that's what God is calling you to do. Second observation, respecting God's order will not diminish you or limit you. Now here's where the tension comes in because it's over here, it's like, you know, there's, there's 
come on, women, let's go, let's lead, let's do what God's asked us to do. And then, but there is an order that God has. And, and these things often go in tension. Very rarely do, do, do people hold up both. They, they tend to hold up one or the other. Tend to hold up one or the other. Deborah is the wisest and best leader in all of Israel. Full stop. Why is she the wisest and best leader in Israel? Do you guys remember? Because God wanted it. Right. Good. Good answer. And yet, she was not just, did you notice in, in verse 5, she wasn't just introduced as a prophetess. She was also introduced as the wife of Lapidoth. It's a Hebrew way of saying that she's in a home with her husband as the spiritual lead. And later in chapter five, she has all of chapter five to sing and about what she thinks is good. And, and, and I don't want to spoil the surprise, but you'll, you'll pick up on this here in a minute. But she does not consider herself the spiritual head of her home. But I think, based upon what we see here, is supporting him in that role. Now, listen to me. She, she, is, she doesn't think that her, she is prophet, she is judge, she is an amazing, amazing leader, but she does, she does not feel threatened or diminished in her gifting. I mean, she's just like, you know, Brock, do this, and this is what we should do, and this is what I hear God saying, but she does not feel diminished in that way at all. So yeah, I'm in a, I'm in a home led by Lapidoth. It wasn't a tension for her. On the other hand, Lapidoth, there's no tension in him. We don't know this, but apparently not. There's no tension there in like, my, I, he's not threatened at all by his much, 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 much gifted wife. It's like, hey, you, you go and you go lead the army. You could, or not lead the army, but you go and give wisdom and direction and all that. And, and, and that, so they're encouraging each other. And what, because the, what, the role that they have, her as prophet and judge and, and his role, they had these roles because why? Yeah. You see, this idea of headship and makes no sense or makes little sense until you reject, and you have to do this, you have to reject the worldly idea that being a leader means that you get your way and you call the shots. You just have to reject that. That is a, that is a worldly idea. If we take our cue of leadership from Jesus, it's, it's the exact opposite. And Philippians 2 said that Jesus emptied his rights. People always, you know, you know, he's full of himself. She's full of herself. Jesus emptied himself. We love our rights. He emptied his rights. He didn't never once play the God card. Oh, I'll have that seat. You know why? Because I'm God. He, he, he never once said, oh, get the remote, yeah, that's mine, I'm God. He never once said, this is how we're gonna do things because remember, I'm God. He says he, he laid that down. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He laid it down. See, we think that leadership is an escalation of freedom and rights and I get to do what I want. Jesus taught us the exact opposite. Leadership is, 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 a, is, is becoming the seed that is willing to die. It's, the, it's willing to be last, not first. And so we have this crazy view of what leadership is and what Jesus taught us. Like, man, if you're leading, you, you, you just lay down your life and serve and you die and you prefer what everybody else wants. 
That's what a leader does. Lead, uh, his way of leading was serving. Secondly, she refuses to take lead of the army. So when Barak comes like, man, I don't know if I can do this and I'm, I'm afraid and I, I can't do this. She doesn't say, get out of the way, Barak. Let me do it. She doesn't say that. What does she say to him? She says, Barak, God's called you to do this. Go do it. Is not this what God said? Is this not what God said? Encouraging him to go lead the army. Because guess why he was the leader of the army? Yeah, there you go. God decides. That's a really helpful thing in your Christian life, by the way. It's like not trying to figure out what you think. It's just trying to figure out what, what God thinks and what he decides. And then a lot of great things flow from that. He decides. He decides. See, in, in the scriptures, uh, so she was a prophetess and a judge, but she wasn't, she wasn't a priest. There were no female priests in the Bible. God does reserve this role, not for all men, but for, for qualified men. And then in the, in the New Testament, it, there's this role of elder that he reserves for not all men, but qualified men. And so part of, part of the issue too, though, that we have is that, and this is, I get this actually more from men than women, is that we have this view of church is that um, what, what church is, church is boiled down to this hour and a half that we have together. And so what you see for an hour and a half is you see me, and you, see, and you see the worship people. So what we do in the West, and this is coming from men and women, actually comes from more men, is like to be significant, you gotta do, you gotta do what I do is significant. The worship band, that's, that's significant. Um, but church is way more than this. In fact, this is very little. People, sometimes people get baptized and, and people come up to me after the baptism like, man, you're just doing a great thing at this church. I'm like, I don't even think I know that person. Like, I, I didn't have, I didn't, I did not befriend them. I did not love them. Uh, somebody else did that. They cared for them. They preached the gospel to them. They pastored them. They loved them. And then all the guys who set this up and put the baptistry and made it all work. And when they hear that comment, like Brian didn't do anything. Like he wasn't, I didn't see him pick up one thing. But somehow I get the credit for it. And I think we, we have to be really careful about what we say is significant and not significant as we're gonna learn this next week. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've heard, I've seen what she's put together I'm like, dang it, I'm like convicted already. And so it's gonna help us to see like, we have to be careful what we say is significant and not significant and just like let God determine that. Because if we don't do that, guess what happens? We'll overemphasize, we'll overemphasize what we do as humans and we'll, we'll diminish what God does. Because actually God's really the hero of the story anyway. Tim Keller says this, God forbids one kind of role in the church to women as he did in Israel. We must not jump from that to forbidding all teaching and tasks to women. And we shouldn't assert all sorts of specific tasks or off limits to women. It is better to say that everything a man who isn't an elder can do, a woman could also do. And again, there's this false dichotomy put in the church that you, you either have no distinction at all and just, you know, like, man, because like what we're saying today, like, man, we want women to run and they've got gifts and they need to be using them in, in visible and influential ways. And then, and then people who do that tend to downplay God's order. And then those who, who like declare God's order tend to like, I don't know about this over here. Those seem to like don't match up. But the Bible actually says both these things are true. I'm gonna read you a quote. It's a commentary 
on Deborah that I actually forgot to write down the names. I don't know who this is, but it, sorry, it, it, it's real because I got it on the internet, okay? So don't, <laughs> it's not quite as, it's not quite as authoritative as the Enneagram, but it's, pre, it's there, okay? So what do we do? So what do we do? If, you, if you're thinking I'm just making fun of the Enneagram, you're right. Um, so what, what do we do? The dangers, <laughs> that's because I'm an eight. Uh, the dangers are obvious. Play down, okay, I got to start all over. This is about Deborah. Get ready? So what do we do? The dangers are obvious. Play down her, play her down and diminish her or play her up and make her out what she was not. The uncomfortable path, which is the path we want to take. It's the Bible zone. It's not our comfort zone. It's our Bible zone. The uncomfortable path is in the middle because you upset both sides. Here's what's terrible. Like, I realize today I'm going to have people on both sides of this sending in questions. And both people on both extremes are going to be upset with me. That's how I know I'm leading well is when I've got two people on both sides upset with me. Just like, why don't you guys figure it out? Like, why do you leave me out of this? You guys figure it out. But it seems to be the most responsible course. Her spiritual gifts, both prophetic and wisdom, are gifts that are not gender restricted. So she clearly serves as a powerful role model there. Her charisma shouldn't be doubted or made less of by focusing on Barak. And there seems to be no good reason to be worried about strong, charismatic women exercising their gifts today. Amen to that. However, Deborah wasn't a priest. She wasn't a queen. She wasn't a prime minister. So the guy's English. You know that, okay? So we know he's English. Don't know his name, but he's English. She wasn't a lot of things. And an Old Testament judge, male or female, is not a precursor to a New Testament church elder. So she is an uncomfortable fit if you try to do that. So we carry over what should be carried over and we leave behind what shouldn't be. And we give thanks to God for the life of Deborah. God in Genesis 2 just lays it out. He, he lays out male and female. He calls the woman, I'm going to mispronounce this, Ezer Kenedgo, which means, I can say the English meaning better, another of the same kind. He's made another of the same kind. The two are not exactly the same. They're the same kind, both image bearers of God, both recipients of God's gifts equally, but they're, they're going to operate a little bit Differently, And this is God's beautiful sign, not in competition with each other, but completing each other. Distinct and dependent on one another. Deborah doesn't, Deborah's very good. She doesn't, neither one, neither male or female trying to usurp the other role. Like it's not replacement. Let's replace what you do. Let's replace what you do, but actually working together. And that's the tension. So I just want to, I just say three things. I just want to add clarity to your engagement. This is to the women, attention women at Jubilee Church. Uh, number one, God has a calling on your life. Do you know what it is? Are you pursuing it? God says very little about what you shouldn't do. He says a whole heck of a lot about what you must do. Let's focus on it. Secondly, feel free to initiate. Feel free. There's nothing, I, I want you to initiate. I'm asking you to initiate. I'm asking you to come for Ellie and this, you'll see, I mean, she came for, hey, I've got this. I want to, I'm amazing. Let, let me, how can I help? I'm going to help you do this. Elders, we're not those who just, we're not called to monopolize ministry. We want to mobilize it in men and women. 
want to mobilize. If you've got something, we want to help you make that happen. St- sorry, I, I was I want to say one more thing about this. If initiating does not mean, does not equal, it's not synonymous with disrespect. I know some women feel that way. You, not all women feel that way. Some women feel like, well, I don't want to initiate because it, it, it feels like it's a sign of disrespect. It's, it's not a sign of disrespect to me. Disrespect is a sign of disrespect. Arrogance, pride, selfish ambition are that, but not initiating. Initiating is amazing. Okay, thirdly, continue to honor God. You don't have to choose. There's a good news. You don't, you don't have to choose. Continue to honor him. And then... Um, Third thing, um, observation three, when men fail to lead, people suffer. Women come forward. We need to know, understand that when men fail to lead, when men fail to lead, people suffer. Judges 5.2, this is what Deborah says. Deborah says, when the princes in Israel take the lead, praise the Lord. And then she goes and just begins to like, High five all the tribes. There's 12 tribes of Israel. High fives all the 12 tribes that step in. And she calls out the tribes who stand back. I mean, verse 14. From Ephraim they came. From Issachar, the faithful followed us. Uh, verse 18. The people from Zebulon risked their very lives. Anybody here from Zebulon? Well done, guys. However, Gilead remained in Jordan. Boo to Gilead. And Dan lingered with ships. Blessed are the ones, she says, who step forward in faith to fight. I just want to address this point to to men before we close here. There's a way of reading Genesis 3 um, that understands that the the real failure, the real sin was on Adam and it wasn't on Eve, who's the one who actually, you know, ate the fruit. Because theologically, the New Testament writers look back and they never say that Eve sinned, they say that Adam sinned. Through, Through Adam's sin. And the reason and that's why Jesus had a biological mother but not a biological father, because sin theologically goes through the male line because God had, had appointed Adam to lead and he's the one who said to Adam, you, you must not eat of that fruit. Didn't tell Eve that, told Adam that. And if you understand the Hebrew, I don't have time to explain this, but basically he says that, that Adam was with her and it didn't mean with her in a general way, like in this room, in this building with her, like, but next to her with her. And when, when his wife starts having a conversation with Satan, and Satan saying, you should eat this, zip, he says nothing. I'm going to find out if what God said is true. Oh, if she eats the fruit and dies, I wonder what will happen. And if she doesn't die, I guess I'll eat it too. And that's how the story played out. Barak hesitates. Men hanging back by the ships. The greatest temptation to men is not to do evil. They can do that. Good. The greatest temptation is not to do evil. It's to do nothing. So Deborah says, they're out hanging out by the ships. The international board says that for volunteers to go to the hardest places, the closed countries, uh, the ones ironically that are the most hostile toward women, the female applicants outnumber the male applicants four to one. Two things. Number one, thank God for those women, their love, their passion, their sacrifice, their obedience. But where are the men? Deborah says they're out by the ships, playing golf, drinking beer, absorbing themselves in their careers, disassociating themselves from the pain and the world when they're meant to be servant leaders and fighting. 
When the prince's lead, Deborah says, we praise the Lord. Man, God has given you a crucial role that cannot be replicated. It cannot be. It's theologically or statistically. Wish I had more time than this. I'll summarize it with this statement. If a child is the first to become a believer in Jesus, there's a three and a half percent chance that the rest of the family becomes a believer. If the mother converts first, that percentage rises to 17%. Fathers, when when the father becomes a Christian first, there's a 93% chance the rest of the family when the princes lead, the people praise the Lord. And we, we're ta- we, pastors all over the world, right? All over America anyway, ha- are dealing with this crisis. And the crisis is why are 85%, why are 85% of the kids in our churches graduating high school and then leaving the church and having nothing to do with it? Children, we, we, children um, who attend church without their parents have a 6% chance of attending the church long-term. 94% of them, if their parents are not engaged in the church. So if your idea is to drop off your kid in our kid's ministry and then have nothing and, and disengage, it's not gonna work. We, we're gonna do our best, but our 30, 45 minutes will not compare to your 24-7. When the mother... When the mother is regularly attended and engaged, but only on her own, 15%, only 15% will stay into the long-term. When the father by himself is engaged and regularly engaged in the church, it jumps to 55% of those kids will stay engaged in the church long-term. Here's the beat. When they come together, when men and women come together, 75% chance. 75% 75% chance. So all of, our, all of our passion for kids and youth ministry doesn't matter unless we can, unless we can like really engage God and say, man, God's designed something a certain way. And what women bring to the table is irreplaceable. What men bring to the table is irreplaceable. They're not interchangeable. He's designed them to come together. There's a lot more I could say, but I'm gonna go to my final observation. So it wasn't five, it's gonna be four. All God requires of this to to serve the purposes of God in our day, like Deborah, all God requires of us is simple obedience. That's it, simple obedience. I believe God would want to reorientate us and our perspective on what we think is significant. We already talked about that a little bit earlier. Like we, we tend to say, oh, that's significant and that isn't. We have to be careful with that. Be careful with that because we'll, we put too much, too much uh, importance on what we do and we diminish the importance on what God does. God all over the scriptures, um, he's demonstrating that he uses what the world considers foolish and weak to demonstrate his immense power in us and through us. So he doesn't need to, he doesn't need a great army to defeat the Egyptians, probably the most, maybe the most powerful army ever. He doesn't need a powerful army. He needs an 80-year-old man with a stick who's used to like tending sheep. That'll do. When, when he needs to feed a crowd, he does not need the entrepreneurial genius of McDonald's. He needs a boy with a lunch. And when he wants to defeat an evil tyrant who is oppressing his people, He doesn't need 1,800 chariots of iron to defeat the 900 chariots of iron. He needs a housewife with a tent peg. 
See, a tent peg was a very common house. I mean, like a frying pan or like an iron or just a very household item that she didn't know how to do anything. All she knew how to do was hit that peg. Because some of you are, man, you're really identifying with Deborah. I mean, look at her. She's wise and gifted and she's leading and visible and, and seemingly influential ways. And if that's you, run after that. You, you like, I just want to support you in that. But then there's some of us who are like, like are actually intimidated by Deborah's. Like they were like, I don't like, I, you know, like you just shrink back. You're like, oh, I could never be like that. I could never do anything important because that's what's important. That's a trap either. Tent peg, hammer. That's all she knew how to do. God does not need our ability. He just needs our availability. Would we be willing to do this simple obedience? Doesn't matter if you're a Deborah or you're the wife of Jael with a tent peg. God could use you in significant ways. That's actually the story of Judges. The story of Judges, if you want to look, zoom back even further, is God uses the weak things. He uses Gideon hidden out in a cave. And then he's like, well, okay, your army's too big. I'm going to whittle it down. Now you're ready because my power will be made perfected. And that's actually the story of Jesus. See, they, everybody, 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 even his closest followers, even through till the end, thought God would come in power and might with iron chariots to destroy his enemies. But Jesus came in weakness. He took the tent pegs of justice into his arms, into his feet. So that we could have a value and identity that nothing else could solve. He doesn't, if if you're sitting there thinking like, man, I want my life to count. I need my life to do something. But in order for my life to count, I got to do this or I got to do that. And I wish I was like this and I wish I was like that. No. God can use whatever you have, whatever it is, he can use it. You don't need to be somebody else. You don't need to be something amazing. He just needs your availability. That causes us to not to think too highly of ourselves. causes us not to think too lowly of ourselves. Rooted in the identity of God, saying, God, you've put, you've put something in me, and you've put me in a position to do something about it. It could be wisdom, leadership, housewife with a tent peg. doesn't need your ability. It needs your availability. When we stand.